Welcome to the Bid mini-series, The Real Leaders of Net Zero, where we talk with CEOs about what they and their companies are doing to move the world to net zero. I'm your host, Mark Weedman. We're talking low-carbon vehicles today, but not the ones parked in your garage. I'm talking about 44-ton electric heavy-duty trucks. I recently stopped by Volvo Group in Gothenburg, Sweden. I got to sit down with CEO Martin Lundstedt to learn how Volvo is helping transform the future of transport. Not only did we talk about these trucks, but Martin actually let me get behind the wheel and got in the cabin and take it for a spin. Okay, it's definitely moving. This is so fun. Yeah, it is actually. And, and you feel how quiet and smooth it is, right? That is actually a pretty good turning radius. Yeah, it is. It was amazing. Volvo's net zero strategy is to transport goods with zero carbon emissions in their fuel and ultimately even in the construction of their trucks. That's right. The whole vehicle, including its parts, including its steel, will be carbon neutral. We'll learn how they're doing it and why. As Martin put it so perfectly, partnership is the new leadership to get the mobility sector to reach its net zero goals. Welcome, Martin, to The Bid. Thank you very much, Mark. It's great to be here. So, Martin, let's start off with just talking about what is Volvo? Volvo is a global group. We are present in 190 markets, around 100,000 great colleagues around the globe. We are operating mainly in transport and infrastructure solutions, providing trucks, buses, construction equipment, industrial application, marine applications. So if I'm uh, walking around the world, what are the examples of products I might see? Now, first and foremost, Volvo branded trucks, buses, excavators, wheeloaders. We are proud owners of Mack uh, trucks of North America. We have Renault trucks of France and other brands as well. And then everything that is around that in terms of services, either added services, financial services, repair and maintenance contracts, more and more bundled contracts, equipment as a service, and ultimately also starting to sell transport as a service. What are your biggest markets? So the biggest uh, single market when it comes to a, a country is the United States of, of America and North America together with Europe are the two biggest regions today. We have a pretty well-balanced presence around the globe. We still have opportunities, of course, in a fast-growing region like Asia, but already an established good footprint. We know that logistics, transport infrastructure, are very important to drive prosperity for society. And we are really on a decarbonization journey. Decarbonization. Talk about that in your strategy. If you take a step back and look into our industry and our sectors and our markets that we are serving, we see clearly that the need of transport, infrastructure, logistics will continue to increase. All the macro trends are telling us that. Growing population, growing urbanization, e-commerce, you have a number of very important factors. So it needs to be considerably more sustainable than we have it today. We have to admit that we still have a fossil based transport system, not only for ground transport, but for shipping and aviation, etc. So increased transport, but considerably more sustainable. And that has been at the core of our strategy now for a long time. And sustainability in that terms for us is, of course, safety, but it's also the ecological and biodiversity type of angles into sustainability. In addition, that you need to have a financial and social sustainable operation as well. And having said that, now we see also that there are a number of very strong factors moving in that direction amongst our customers and customers, customers and society at large. What we have done 
is that we're clear about our commitment to Paris and to the higher ambition of 1.5 degrees. And when you look at our story, that means that 2050, our whole value chain downstream and upstream must be decarbonized. It must be net zero. So what will I see? A truck that has no carbon emissions? What does it look like? What's it made out of? What is it powered by? Great question, Mark. Our equipment is lasting at least in the installed fleet for 10 years, right? So 2040 globally. We're not talking US, we're not talking Europe, we're talking all over the place. And how will it look like? First and foremost, input material will be produced by fossil-free material and fossil-free energy and everything that comes into the hardware. But the biggest impact, of course, is how our products are used by our customers and thereby emission-free, as you say, propulsion or drive lines. We're first saying is that the entire vehicle mm. or the construction crane, whatever it is, will be made with zero CO2 impact, Yes, which means that it's going to have steel that's green, all the energy in it that goes into it is green, et cetera. Plastics and electronics, uh, the battery material, tires. So, I mean, there are a lot of different materials, components, and not only that they need to be fossil-free sitting there, but the whole value chain upstream between not only our direct suppliers, but the whole value stream upstreams must be fossil-free. So you're saying the whole vehicle, even before it leaves your factory, yeah. will be entirely CO2 neutral. Mm -hmm. And then the big challenge comes, which is most of the emissions today are coming from when your vehicles or your machines are used. Absolutely. So giant earth movers, giant mining machines, which means that the load on these machines, the stress, the energy needs are much more intense than for a passenger car. So what is the preconception I should put aside if I'm thinking, oh, I have an electric car. I know what Martin's doing. What's different for your customers in your business? First and foremost, I think you have been into a number of very important factors here. How do they look into, so to speak, their business? Because it's a business. And I always think about it that every unit, every excavator, wheel loader, or truck is a, its own P&L. It's an own profit and loss statement. And what is happening now is, of course, apart from the normal pieces of the PL statement, the revenues this machine can provide and the cost associated in terms of amortization, energy cost, repair and maintenance driver, what have you. An additional factor in the PL is now also that for the customers that if I can make this fossil free, I can actually first get more contracts because my customers will ask for that. And secondly, I can get higher revenues because it has a premium in many cases. For example, city construction. It could be uh, urban distribution, what have you. So I think that is a big difference. And coming then to how will it look like when it comes to the driveline, it will be threefold, basically. You will have battery electric vehicles that we are actually in serial production now and we are scaling up as we speak. You will have fuel cell electric vehicles. And as a third Probably minor piece, but still very important, will be combustion engines, but completely based on renewable fuels that are also sustainable renewable fuels because it will be a scarcity of these fuels and you need also to have the right distribution between sectors, not at least for shipping and aviation, for example. Let's talk about the battery-driven electric trucks. Why does a customer buy them? And what are the relative costs and the benefits for that customer? First and foremost, the main driver today for customers to buy it is that they have their commitment. They want to participate in the decarbonization. They have an increasing curve of requests from their customers, actually the transport buyers, to get zero emission vehicles on the road. Why a customer buys one of your construction equipment or truck, 
that's electric. They're buying because it's going to be CO2, much lower footprint, but it's also quieter. In cities, this matters. It matters a lot. And we see that for all activities, not only that you can get the citizens that are more pleased, but you can actually utilize the equipment more. You're allowed to get into the cities, for example, distribution and waste collection earlier, working later. And every kilometer extra you actually drive with an electric in relation to a diesel is a very good equation because since the capex piece is higher, but the OPEX piece is lower, then utilization will also be incentivized. And with the quietness, you can actually drive more hours, for example, in the city. So Martin, I'm in New York. Are you telling me that one day your trucks will not wake me up when the garbage man comes by? Absolutely. And one day you will see that uh, massively deployed also in New York. New Yorkers, electrification evolve means you can sleep in. Uh, <laughs> over the life of the vehicle today, does an electric truck cost more over time than a traditional engine? And now I, I know you're Mark, so, so now you will blame me for not being precise enough. But it depends because we are still in this S-curve development, as we call it. So depending on what application, what geography, what segment. And that's the reason why we cannot talk about this as an average thing. But in certain segments already today, certainly the TCU and the life cycle revenues for the customer actually shifting from a diesel to a battery electric is there. Total cost of ownership. Yeah, and that depends on a lot of it. Not only, as many people think, incentives, but really the logic behind it. How do you utilize it in terms of mileage? How does it look like when it comes to repair and maintenance needs, etc.? With an increasing speed, we see that the TCO parity and beyond will actually accelerate. And that is the most important because at the start, we need in certain areas incentives, could be investment incentives to get things going. But in the long run, it must always stand on its own merits. And very positive news here. We see that the equation is getting better and better. So if I'm a customer today, at least in some cases, mm -hmm. I can find the electric truck better, probably not more expensive over its life, but it changes my relationship with you at Volvo. What does that relationship look like? First and foremost, already during the last decade or so, uh, we have been increasing our content of uh, services together with the product. But when we are moving into the electric era here, it will further accelerate that. We see the customers really want to have not only the products, the traditional services of repair and maintenance, the financial services and insurance, but also route planning, route simulation, battery optimization. So a much more in-depth, holistic type of relation over the whole life cycle. Great news for us because that is a very recurring type of relation with the customers and also, to be frank, recurring revenues in a historically cyclical business, right? You don't need to be shy. The point of this is it has to be meeting your investors' needs too. Absolutely. So a way of thinking about this transformation is that cash flows that originally were going to fossil fuel companies and distributors now are shifting to the manufacturers of the vehicles and their suppliers. That all those cash flows are being brought earlier, which is why actually they are more capital intensive, but it's also meaning that actually your revenues in this new business model are actually going to be higher. Really well said. And I think there are two key factors. What will this transformation for our industry mean? Number one, growth opportunities, both when it comes to what you say, the shift, if you look at the life cycle cost for a customer, historically 30 to 40% was fuel. In the future, to your point, it will be battery and other type of equipment 
and electricity. So the revenue streams, the cash flows, that is very important opportunity. The second one, more and more into equipment as a service, meaning more of recurring revenues in our business, which is also in a traditionally cyclical business, very important. We have already seen the underlying improvement of Volvo Group over the last six, seven years. Very important element of that has been actually the service component, and that will continue to increase. Apart from the investors that we feel we have a very good dialogue, we want to be really transparent about all the opportunities here. We also see it in what I always say is a very important type of leading indicator is the talent acquisition. We, in other words, hiring people. Yeah, hiring people. And we see that different type of expertise, international arena, different generations really want to join Volvo and the journey. And I think that is extremely inspiring. And one key reason is that you can make tangible execution of actually both here and now, because transport and logistics driving prosperity, but also for the future, shaping the world that we want to live in. This, together with investors, I think that's the reason why we are still hanging around and love this industry, right? So I'm seeing battery Volvo mm-hmm. trucks already. This decade, maybe, I will see fuel cell-driven trucks? Absolutely. And that is something that we're working on. And I think what is important to understand between battery electric, fuel cell electric, and combustion engine is that we will not make any whatsoever compromise on that we need to get to net zero. But we need to be realistic also. It's not only, so to speak, the truck or the excavator technology, the machine in itself. It's also about available energy sources for different regions. How do you work with infrastructure, etc. So a lot of different factors must come together and thereby we need to have different technologies. There's an important link actually between, it's worth talking about, between autonomous capability and electric vehicles. When a customer shifts to an electric vehicle, they've increased their capital cost and reduced their operating expenditure. They then want to use the vehicle as much as they possibly can. Exactly. Autonomous capability allows them to use any kind of vehicle, any time of day, 24-7. Very different than with human beings. How does this play into your broader electrification and decarbonization plan? First and foremost, with technology now, connectivity, a lot of other type of developments that we've seen in terms of sensors, in terms of artificial intelligence, autonomous solutions will come into play in our sectors much more quicker than in other segments that have been talked about. We will see it in confined areas, we will see it in quarries, in mines, in ports. That's important because everyone's talking about autonomous vehicles, or they certainly were six, seven years ago. It's going to change the world. You're going to be one of the first places in the world we see autonomous vehicles. Give us examples of that. Hub to hub, mining, controlled access. Talk about that. We have a separate business area created two years ago, Volvo Autonomous Solutions. Main segments now, mining quarry, terminals, ports, and number three, very exciting also, hub-to-hub applications, and that will start to be implemented uh, first in North America. We are commercializing the confined areas like mines, quarries, ports, uh, terminals, because there are a lot of different factors and drivers why that is important. Again, coming back to that, we have B2B solutions, so it's safety, but it's also our activity, different type of planning, in some areas actually to allow the capacity to be there. We have seen, for example, in the United States, in the port of Los Angeles, it has been a lack of capacity, lack of drivers, etc. But it's also actually paving the way for combined solutions. Because when you start to think about how do I design my autonomous flow, like you have historically done in a factory, you also can add other elements. For example, electrification, how do I generate energy 
because I can plan the operations. There you can also plan another bottleneck in this transformation, that is the charging infrastructure. Because for battery electric, and also to less extent for fuel cell electric, they will have a greater autonomy. It's very important also to have the right type of route planning. And charging, and do that in a smart and well-defined way, will be key also for this transformation. So there is also a very interesting connection, right? Looking across the whole commercial auto sector or vehicle sector, what do you think is the biggest challenge that you see in decarbonizing the entire system? I, mean, I think it's actually, if I may say so, synchronized roadmap because what you see now, and we discussed that here, our technical roadmap, we have medium duty trucks. We are just about now to continue to introduce heavy duty applications and also going for excavators, wheel loaders, buses, etc. Products are there. Now, in order to get to the massive deployment of this needed to comply with our own targets, but also the societal targets, infrastructure must be there, charging or refueling stations for these type of energy sources, and also the green generation of energy. Because at the end of the day, if the tailpipe is emission-free, but the electricity is not produced in accordance with our ambition, then it doesn't move us in the right direction. So it's a coordinated roadmap between a number of factors that must be there. And that's the reason why another of the elements of partnership. Collaborating within industries, across industries, all necessary together toward decarbonization. Absolutely. How do we actually cooperate in order to get there and see the holistic view sector by sector? And that's the reason also why, for example, we are participating in First Mover Coalition. When I looked into that the first time, I said, okay, it's another initiative. What is this? That is founded by a special envoy for climate change, Secretary Kerry, together with the World Economic Forum. What I liked about it was actually the very pragmatic view, taking a number of sectors like steel, like shipping, like trucking, and say, okay, what are the companies that are ready to join and to increase demand to say, my company, Volvo, we have joined in three and possibly four now different type of work streams. Trucking, obvious to us in order to be credible that we are buying the best solutions for our own transport, but also steel, for example, because then we are sending a signal, demand is there, if supply is there, we can get together. That is another way of connecting together these cross-sector type of needed initiatives. You've struck an unusual collaboration, a joint venture, with your toughest competitor. Daimler Truck, yeah. That was a couple of years ago now. We announced actually our ambition and then realization of a joint venture of fuel cell stacks. And what is that then? The fuel cells are actually on board producing electricity from hydrogen. And we came to the conclusion in order to move from this fossil-based platform to green platform in certain areas in order to get scale, cost parity, all the investments needed, but also a signal or a sign to everyone in society that we believe also in hydrogen or fuel cell electric trucks. We, we struck this deal. We formed Cellcentric, that is today operational joint venture, doing actually this fuel cell stack. It will be open to others as well. Then when it comes to the truck, uh, when it comes to the installation, when it comes to the operation, there we will continue to have a Daimler truck as a very respected competitor. So I, I think that's the right balance, to be fair, Mark. Uh, there are areas where partnership will be needed in order to accelerate. Charging infrastructure is another example uh, where we are joining forces with Daimler and Trayton in Europe to quickly actually install 1,700 charging points in order to allow our customers to feel confident 
and to get it going quicker. So in certain areas, partnership is the new leadership. In other areas, you need to keep it at the core of your company to be successful. Partnerships, the new leadership. Why in this area in particular? Why now? Why now is because in certain areas, in order to accelerate fuel cells, for example, huge investments, it has been historically very high cost per unit. You need scale. You need standardizations. You need also the infrastructure to be built out. And therefore, when we actually were filing for this, everyone understood this is a good thing. This will serve the direction for societies to decarbonize while still competing on the new green platform. I think what is very important for us is that we have changed our mindset from, okay, we want to lead or we want to follow the development to create. I think a key word here is creating, and you cannot create alone. You can only create by actually seeing, okay, who are the different type of partners, both companies, institutions, but also people that have the same values and will to do it. And then you can shift by creating markets that you never thought existed, actually. And I love that type of dynamic because I think creating is both utilizing the platform that we have, all the good elements that we have in big companies, but together with the entrepreneurship needed for the future. So partnership is the new leadership is something that we are actually using because we like it. And that is the ecosystem, because when people are talking about the ecosystem, they always put themselves in the center. Okay, my ecosystem, but it will not be someone in the center. It will be players that will actually make the shift here. Martin, last question. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most important thing that needs to happen to get the world to net zero? I think you can talk about capital location, regulation, permission times. But I think the single most important factor is us as human beings, that we have a commitment and believe and understanding that this is for real. This is the challenge of our generation in order to hand over this planet in good shape, to be part of a journey that is not only needed, but wanted. And when we get that drive, we see that in our company, we see that together with suppliers, partners, and of course with our customers, it gives not only, so to speak, a competitive edge and a competitive opportunity, but it gives also this feeling of, we want to change, we want to do something that is good. So I believe in this drive uh, together uh, in order to, as we always say, to shape the world that we want to live in. Martin Lundstedt, thank you for joining the bed. Thank you, Mark. It was great to be with you. This material is intended for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice, a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any securities, funds or strategies to any person in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase or sale would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change without notice. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risks. BlackRock does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. For more information, visit blackrock.com forward slash the bid.